0: Judges chapter 16, verse 1 to 21. And hopefully you have an outline that says, The danger of continued sin. The danger of continued sin. Now, Paul David Tripp, uh, who, as you know, I love reading, uh, in one of his books on the challenges of pastoral ministry, tells a story of a man called George. George. George is a married man who is attending seminary to prepare for pastoral ministry. George enjoys reading books, and he enjoys doing this in public places. So he likes picking up a book and going in public to read it. So during evenings, what he does is after dinner with his wife, uh, he goes off to study at a local bookshop. He needs to study for seminary to become a pastor, and he's reading, and he goes there at night to read at a local bookshop. And after a few visits there, George notices some beautiful young women who regularly come to this bookshop for their evening hangouts. So one evening, without thinking, George starts getting taken in by these people. And he changes where he normally sits, and he, he sits somewhere where he can have some eye contact with them. As days pass, George is becoming Deeply attracted to them. And so it happens that one evening this seminary student sees one of the young women get up. And he also gets up. And he starts watching her closely. And he's getting up approaching her and he's hoping perhaps to bump into her. But of course she doesn't bump into him. What she does is she goes outside this bookshop, and she jumps in her car and she drives home. And perhaps to George's own surprise. He also gets in the car and is driving now. He's following her. And a few minutes later, George finds himself sitting in his car outside this young woman's house. He is battling a temptation, an urge to knock on her door. But he doesn't. But tragically, this becomes a pattern now. Every evening, he goes to the bookshop, and every evening, he follows this woman home. This married man, training for ministry, has become a stalker. You see, what began as a simple look has now spawned in a continued scene of lust that is threatening to destroy not only his marriage, but his very life, his ministry as well. Today, we are talking about the danger of continued sin. Giving sin a foothold in our lives. What happens when we tolerate sin in our lives? All of us here need to know an answer to that question. We need to know the answer because as the late Aurora said the Italian reformer said, Many have been victorious in great temptations and ruined by little ones. Many have been victorious in great temptations but ruined in little ones. You see, many people may appear, outwardly speaking, to be very holy people. They follow Jesus. They sing great hymns in our churches. But if we scratch just a little bit underneath, Many people are hiding and repentant sin. They live in sin. And they dare not even confess it to others. You see friends, it's very easy to say wonderful prayers, great Bible verses, and yet struggle with lust, lies, anger, bitterness, pride, gossip, unforgiveness, and many such sins. You can hear sermon after sermon Read verses after verses and still sink deeper in sin, and as we see in the life of Samson, living like this has consequences. <laughs> now, two weeks ago, before um, Pastor Gavin and Brother David uh, Segawa came to preach, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we saw God miraculously save Samson at Lehi. Well, 20 years have now passed. And Samson is still a one-man army against the Philistine. But as we look at this, as we've been watching, Samson has been dragging himself into sin. And as we now come to Judges 16, we'll see that Samson now is sinking even deeper in sin. Look with me at verse 1 of Judges chapter 16. The first truth we learn here is that continued sin... Abuses God's power. Continued sin abuses God's power. Now Samson, for reasons only known to himself, has decided to pay a visit to the coastal city of Gaza. Look at verse 1. Samson went to Gaza. Gaza is the capital city of the Philistines. These pentapolis; they control these five cities. And Gaza is one of them, and it's their capital city. Now, we don't know what Samson is doing here. But a woman catches Samson's eyes again. Let's continue to read this one. And there, he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. There's no other way of explaining this, except as as simple as simply this. Samson sees a woman and is lusting after her. This is pure lust. Samson sees her and he's already paying for sex. What Samson's doing is shocking. We expect the judge to live a holy life. The last thing we expect a judge raised by God from the womb is to visit prostitutes. He's meant to defend the weak, especially exploited women, not to exploit them. And the tragedy of this verse is that Samson is not alone. This verse shocks us, but does it really shock us? Because we are living in an age of digital prostitution. I was with my brother, friend Alex, and we visited, um, we went to uh, this CEX, which is where they sell video games. And I was shocked when I looked at those video games. How many of them are so sexually explicit? Pornography is not just in video games. It's it's in everything now. Digital prostitution. And many men and women in our churches have access to mobile devices, play video games and other things that are filled in with such prostitution. You can't even watch a reality program now without hearing something despicable about sex. You see, those who claim to belong to Jesus and yet live like that, tolerate such wickedness, mock Jesus. Because, friends, our Lord came to save sinners, not abuse them for our pleasure. In the end, following our passions, where they lead, lands us into danger, as Samson finds out. Look at verse 2. So Samson has gone into a prostitute. Verse 2 says, the Gazites were told... Samson has come here, and they surround the place and set an ambush for him all the night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait until the light of the morning, then we will kill him. You see, to the Philistines, Samson is like Osama bin Laden, right? He is the most wanted man in all of Israel, in all of Philistia. These posters are everywhere. They want him. And yet, Samson, for reason only known to himself, has not only come to Gaza, where everybody knows about him, but he's now gone into the, the worst place he can go to. This brothel, really, which everyone in the town knows. He has entered into that place. He's asking for death. That's what Samson is doing. And so they know about it, they come looking for him, but somehow, Samson senses something is up, and what does he do? He cuts short his visit. Look at verse 3. But Samson lay till midnight, and and at midnight he arose and took all of the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts, and he put them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Abraham. (laughs) He has crept out of his brothel, going to the gates of the city. These are heavy gates, they're like 90 feet across. And they are very heavy. They defend the entire city of Gaza. And he has lifted them up. It is amazing. You see, the power, the gates of the city at this time represents the power of the city. What Samson has done is like perhaps waking up one day we find out that the UK trident code has been taken by Samson. The thing that very much protects the UK has gone missing. And that's what's happened to the Philistines here. Samson has lifted the gates of the city and is carried it to in front of Abram. Forty miles. He's walked for a number of days and he's done this amazing thing. It is amazing strength. But what's amazing is that as Samson perhaps is carrying these gates, we can picture him, isn't it? With a big eagle arriving in Europe and he's probably smiling to himself. He's smiling and he's saying, look, I went to Gaza on holiday and look what I brought back. He has brought this gate back. It's a great achievement, but it's an ego-driven trip. Notice what we don't read from this verse. We, we don't read about Samson killing anyone. What we read is about Samson going into a brothel, coming out, defending himself by lifting the gates, and going to showing it off to his people. God has endowed Samson with power, but Samson has used that power for his own ego trip, and to cover up his sin. Samson is abusing God's power. You are wondering to yourself, how can a person Be so blessed by God, behave this way. Well, don't. Don't. Every willing sinner is a Samson. We are all Samson. Has God not lavished his goodness on your life? Has God not kept you alive in the past week? Has that stopped you telling lies? Has it stopped you lasting? Has it stopped your pride? Has it stopped your gossip? Has it made you cling more to Jesus? Has it said to you, I abandon all except for Christ. He's my number one now. No friends, there are still elements of you where you're still blind to the grace of God. You're still showing off. You're still living only for yourself. There are many areas of your life where you still tolerate sin. And what Samson is doing here is he's reminding us that continued sin is not just his problem. No, it is my problem. It is your problem. It is our problem. All of us sat here this morning, abuse the grace of God every day. And that's a big problem. It is a big problem. Why is that? Because of our second and final Continued sin Abuses God's power Why is that a problem? Because continued sin Forfeits God's power In the end Continued sin forfeits God's power Let's go back to Samson We see in verse 4 That God has saved him Now I mean none of us have ever been None of us can ever be like Samson God has endowed him with such great power And has saved him From death really now, how do we expect Samson to behave, to react now? We expect him to go a prayer meeting, isn't it? To thank God for this great deliverance. But what does he do now? Uh, Samson goes in now uh, into another, even more deplorable woman. It just gets worse. Look at verse 4. After this, the author of Judges is reminding us after God's goodness, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now, now there lots of movies that have been done about Samson, of course, and we are wondering, who well, is this Delilah? Is she a prostitute? The Bible doesn't tell us that. She behaves like one, suddenly. Is Delilah a Philistine? The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, there's every good chance, perhaps, that Delilah is actually Jewish. Delilah lives in the valley of Sorek. The valley of Sorek is a border valley between Philistia and the Israelites. Between that, there are Israelites and Philistines. Mixed marriages go on there. But she also lives, that is not so, so far from where Samson lives in Mahanaim. Samson is at the foot of the valley. And therefore, in some sense, is meeting a local girl. So we don't know whether Delilah is Philistine or Israeli. It doesn't matter. Actually, it might matter slightly in the evening when we look at uh, those verses. But for now, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that Samson is being driven by his sexual drive again. He loves women. He has a weakness for sex. And his enemies have noticed it. Look at this five. And the laws of the Philistines came to her, to Delilah, and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you one thousand one hundred pieces of silver. We should note here, first of all, that since Samson, um, since the Philistines want to know why Samson is powerful. It probably means Samson does not look like you know some sort of Rumble or a weightlifter there's a, every it's possible that Samson just looks like an ordinary person and that's why they are baffled how can somebody so ordinary do such great things so the image we get of Samson in movies is perhaps quite mistaken they are baffled at Samson's strength and they're willing to pay Delilah 5,500 pieces of silver, because there are five lords of the Philistine. To put that into context, that is 550 years worth of wages. This is a lot of money. They have made Delilah an offer she cannot refuse. Look at verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you." What a strange question. It is a strange question to ask anyone, let alone your boyfriend. She's saying, please tell me how you might be killed. <laughs> I mean, what would you do if you had that? I mean, you would run away from there like there's no tomorrow. But Samson can't resist Delilah. So what does he do? He plays along. Look at verse 7. And Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings." that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson is just throwing out really a joke there, but Delilah is not joking. This is not a laughing matter to her. Look at verse 8 to verse 9. Then the laws of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in a, in a chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of luck snaps when it touches the fire. So the, th- the secret of his strength was not known. The plot of Delilah has backfired. Samson probably was away. He came back. She had men hidden. And now, Samson has broken free again, has now broken free uh, it's worth noting here by the way, this is a very important point that there is no indication here that Samson actually fights the Philistines at this point there's no indication of that it seems what is happening here is that Samson is actually unaware of the Philistines. They are hiding in the chamber. While he's away, Delilah has hidden them. And when, they have, when, when, when obviously he's cried out, the Philistines are upon you, he's broken free and perhaps they have led Eden where they are. At this stage, it seems like a game Delilah is playing. So Samson, of course, stays in the relationship. But we see that Delilah is just warming up. Round 2 is coming. Look at this 10 to 12. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new robes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new robes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped. He snapped again the ropes of his arms like a thread. She has failed again. But this this is a woman who never gives up. So she presses forward now. Round three. Look at this, 13 to 14. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. She's probably visibly annoyed at this point. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into a web. And she made them tight with a pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from the sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. This ridiculous spectacle of Delilah and now we've together is now completely removed by Samson. The money is slipping away from Delilah. There's a lot of cash at stake here, and she has now lost for the third time. It is time to get personal. Look at verse 15 to 16. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. You have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and aged him, his soul was vexed to death. Delilah is now playing her final card. It is, if you really love me, cat. She's saying, if you really love me, prove it. And of course, that is what many people in relationships are pressurized with. Many people in relationships find themselves pressurized to have sex outside marriage because of the Delilah trick. If you really love me, trick. If you really love me, you have sex with me. Our young people are told. And of course, such pressure can be quite immense and lead them, even if they're trusting in Christ, to fall away for a while. And of course, it's not just about sex. People try and make us choose between our loyalty to God and our loyalty to them. In many different ways. If you're a married person, you know this very well. Even your relationship with God, you can often find yourself like you're trying to choose between God and your wife. Or you're trying to choose God or your children. Let us be clear, friends, that first of all, the danger is always out there. And so as people who love Christ, we should never put others in such situations. I've seen many husbands completely rendered ineffective in serving God, because they have made a decision to choose their wives over Christ. We are to love our wives, love our families, but we must watch out for the Delilah spirit. Let us watch out for this. Now, Delilah is right that Samson does not trust them. I mean, who would trust Delilah? I mean, he now he knows now it is not a game. Whatever he said, Delilah will want proof that it's true. He knows that. And the problem is that if he tells her, what would Delilah do? She'll prove it, right? I mean, that's what she's been trying to do. So if he tells her, he knows that she'll prove it. And she'll cut his hair. And if Samson tells her then, he's being complicit. You see, his hair is the only vow he has left on him. He has been breaking every vow left, right, and center. So, really, what he's got here is Samson is, has come to the fork of the road, so to speak. He has, we all have this situation in our own lives where we, at some point, we are in something and we have to choose Jesus or the thing being offered to us. And Samson is now facing this. Is it Delilah? Does he cling to God? Yes, he's been a mess. But does he keep clinging to God? Or does he prefer Delilah? And this is why he's very depressed. He's depressed. He can't take it. Why? Because he understands the cost. He understands what is being asked of him. Does he really value God? Or does he really value Delilah? And some of you are in that situation right now. Is it God or this sinful relationship? Is it God or is it money? Is it God or is it your job? Is it God or is it your family? You are in the fork of the road. And hard questions are being asked of you. How are you answering it? Here is how Samson answers it. Samson chooses a woman over God. Look at verse 17. And he told Delilah all his heart, and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson has chosen a woman over God." the judge, the pastor of Israel, the deliverer, the savior, filled with the Holy Spirit pale from the womb, it seems shocking. But I hope we are not shocked. I hope we recognize that from our own life experience that sexual lust is the greatest of all passions. Friends, how many young people have shipwrecked their faith because they are desperate to be in a relationship or marry someone. It is a big issue. Delilah or Jesus? I had a call from one of my pastoral friends and he's been a pastor for eight years. He gave me a call I want to have a chat with you. I said, yeah, please. be good to have a chat. Let's arrange a chat. And then he said to me, look, you know, I need help. I said, what help do you need? So said, I need help because you see, I've got a young lady in my church. And this young lady is a member now. She's been a member for a year. And she's met a guy and she's moved in with a guy. And she's no longer. And we don't know what to do about it. I need your help. Can you advise me how I should do? I said, Pastor. I said, Pastor, please join the prayer queue. Join the prayer queue. You are coming to me for help? I should come to you for help. And I shared with the pastor that in our churches over the last year alone, four, people, four churches I know, including our own, have found themselves in precisely this situation. Where a young person somewhere has chosen Delilah, has chosen sin over God. It is a big issue. Sin is serious. Temptations are strong. And many of our young people are falling away because of such pressures. But God loves his children, you see. He loves his children, especially those he has served. He loves his children, including, I should say, Samson. He loves us too much to let us get away with sin. So what does he do to Samson? He lets Samson's action take full course. Look at verse 18 to verse 20. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. He has emptied himself, so to speak, to me. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she caught a man, the Baba of Gaza. And he had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. At this point, who knows, perhaps as some have suggested, she has put something uh, for him to drink, or he's just been maybe too tired, or maybe this is a divine induced sleep. But he's asleep and his hair has now been shaved off. Verse 20 says this, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. You see, God had lavished his grace on Samson. But Samson has rejected God. So God now lovingly leaves Samson alone. Verse 20 ends. It says, But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And verse 21 says this, And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground up the mill in prison. Samson now is a pitiful sight. He he has forfeited God's power. And look at the ignorance of sinners. Look at the ignorance of sinners. You know, he's rejected God and he still thinks he can go out there and still be Attention! Still serve the Lord, so to speak. But he did not know that the Lord has left him. And many people are in such situation. You are living so deep in sin. You do not know the Lord is not operating effectively already in your life now, because you have abandoned him. You have lost your first love. You are plunged knee deep in sin. And Samson now. Having forsaken the Lord is such a pitiful sight. He has forfeited God's power and he has lost his eyes. Notice that Samson's eyes are the reason he's in sin. Right? He loved women. He couldn't resist a beautiful woman walking around. And God now does what? Removes his very eyes. Removes his eyes. Friends, let us learn a lesson. That the eyes that lead us into sin can be taken away from God by God. Let us learn that God sometimes takes away the instruments and the graces He gives us. You see, you may get in a relationship for sex only to suffer a tragedy that stops you enjoying sex. Let's be blunt, because God is sovereign over such things. The point here is that it is foolish to take the future into your own hands by continuing in sin. Because doing so forfeits the power of God in your life. And when we pause to reflect here, we realize that Samson's story is Israel's story in Judges. Do you remember God has raised up Israel from nothing? He has planted them in the land of Canaan. And yet they repeatedly turn from God and they t- run after other husbands. The Bahá'as, the Hashdorahs, the dagons And Israel, like Samson, has fallen for spiritual delilah. It has continued in sin and how it is in the terrible oppression of the Philistines. And there is more worse to come. Now we are God's people today. Israel is the Old Testament church. We are God's people today. And if you're trusting in Jesus, the God of Samson lives in you permanently by his Holy Spirit. And friends, because God lives in you, he cannot allow you, if you're truly born again, God cannot allow you, his child, to live continually in hostility against him. Friends, no parent would do that. What mother would let his son, a son, just live rebellious? You wouldn't. And neither does God. And so if you keep refusing to repent of your sins, if you are born again and you keep refusing to repent, sermon after sermon, what will God do? God will lovingly lovingly come on you like a tongue of spiritual bricks. He will do it because he loves you. Richard Sibb says, if we have a time of sinning, God will have a time of punishing. Did you hear that? If we have a time of sinning, God will have a time of punishing. To believers, not out of wrath, but out of love for us. And sometimes the way God will correct you will be painful. Samson has lost his eyes. He's still a child of God. Jonah nearly died at sea. Still a child of God. David lost his child after going into Bathsheba. Still a child of God. Friends, God severely corrects his children. If there is a sin, you your tolerating. And yet you consider yourself genuinely having repented, having come trusting in Jesus and yet you're tolerating a sin, please come agently before God this morning and turn away from it. And that also goes for sins of omission. If there are specific things the Lord has been asking you to do and you keep saying no to them, make them right. If there is sin, confess it. Don't wait for the discipline of God. Perhaps you watch pornography. Are you waiting for everyone to know about it. Before you realize it's danger. Before you repent of it. And turn away from it. You know you are always angry. With people around you. Friend. What will it take for you to stop? God to allow your family. To break apart. Repent now of your anger. Repent now. Bring it before the Lord. Confess it. You know you are robbing God. in giving You know God has blessed you and you don't give all that he has given you. Are you waiting for God to send a financial storm so that you really understand that he owns everything? Surrender. Surrender to him now. You know you prioritize your job more than your relationship with God. You know that. Why are you waiting to get fired from your work? Before you surrender your job to God. Are you? This passage is saying to us. If you are a child of God. There is no alternative to repentance. Do it now. Or you will still do it. With a painful correction. There is no alternative. To repentance. Repentance. If God does not correct your continued sin, then you do not really belong to God. Hebrews 12, verse 8 says, If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If God isn't disciplining you in your sin, you should be very worried. Because perhaps you do not belong to Him. In the same way, if you could just continue living in sin despite God pleading with you to turn from your sin then you do not belong to God. So be honest with yourself that perhaps you have not received a new heart and that is why sin does not grieve you. That is why you are comfortable in it. But don't just stop there, friend. Take a serious look again at poor Samson lying in that dungeon, bound in Dagon's temple. Look at him there, blind, humiliated, and defeated. That is how much God hates sin in his children. He hates sin in in us so much that he does everything he can, even taking away our eyes to discipline us. Oh friend, what more you who has not repented and come to faith in Christ? What more you who reject him every day? Don't stop looking at Samson. Look, don't just stop there. Look forward 1,200 years later. See this God of Samson, our Lord Jesus, walking up that road on Golgotha. See him there torn, beaten, they nail nailed to a cross of wood. And as Jesus is there, as he lies there on the cross, the ground beneath starts shaking. The earth is darkened. What is happening? What is happening? God's wrath and his hatred of sin is being poured on our Lord Jesus. God hates sin so much that only the death of God can bear the full wrath. Of God. If you keep refusing to surrender to Jesus. You are making a conscious choice. To bear the full weight. Of God's punishment. For your sin. Oh my friend. My friend. Listen to me. You are too small. To take on the wrath of God. You are too small. To withstand His full wrath. Jesus is your only shelter. From everlasting punishment. So run to Jesus. Receive his forgiveness for sin by surrendering to him. Ask him to forgive you based on his death on the cross for you. He will surely do it. He will give you new life. Do not reject this gift of life with him. Come to him this moment. And if you're trusting in Christ, flee, flee continued sin. Surrender to him. Amen.